Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm not your usual host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm Dale Myros of the Myros Group. To commemorate the 100th broadcast of this show, we're turning the tables on Maureen, putting her on the other side of the microphone. You, her audience, know her as a noted author, expert on leadership and best practices, a regular contributor to Forbes and an adjunct faculty member of universities in U.S. and Germany, an all-around amazing person, right? So what are my qualifications to be conducting this interview? Not many, I assure you. I didn't even stay at that famous hotel last night, but I have been her guest on the show five times. And on several occasions, we've dialogued over many issues. In the process, I've gotten to know and learn from her. I'm honored to have the task to bring out that wisdom and share it with her audience in this special way. As with her other 99 shows, the goal is to provide information to leaders and emerging leaders that will enhance skills, build success, and ultimately help better prepare leaders to run their organizations in today's dynamic environment. Maureen routinely invites you to find one thing from each weekly segment which you can put into practice in your leadership journey. I think that her point is that our leadership skills can depreciate and become outdated without a commitment to continued learning and honing of capabilities. Don't be at risk at being a sub-performing leader. Please listen with a focus on what you can take away from this show, analyze at least one point, and share it with others. As usual, the show will have three segments. In the first, we'll ask Maureen to give us a peek behind the curtain regarding the show and its beginnings and the manner in which it has played out for the past 99 sessions. In the second, we'll probe into what she's learned from her many guests. And in the last segment, we'll put Maureen on the spot about the future, both what she sees developing in leadership as well as her plans for the next 100 episodes. Maureen, welcome to your show. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. Like you weren't even in the room. You weren't even in the room. So now it's your turn to answer questions. Thank you. It's, I'm really honored to have you as a guest. And I, I realize I'm supposed to be answering questions. But what you didn't do is tell us who you are other than your name and why I interviewed you. Why you? Well, I run my own company. It, uh, it is a company that deals with uh, leadership development and cybersecurity. I am uh, over 30 years in the United States Air Force, almost 40 years in the United States government. I worked in industry. I teach at a couple of universities. And again, I am very pleased to be the one to put you on the spot. So how did this show start? So I got a phone call from someone at Voice America who asked me to talk to an executive producer. And for those of you who know me, I have a bias for yes and a bias for experiments. So when they called and told me about it, and I also work as a coach and as a board member of a public radio station. So I have a deep appreciation for the value radio brings to listeners. So all of that made it seem like a no-brainer to do the experiment of a three-month pilot. Three-month pilot. Was, was that your expectation it would go three months, or did you, did you have dreams for going beyond that? Well, knowing that I have some insecurities, I was hoping I'd make it through the three months and not get canceled. Um, 
And at that point, it was really just an experiment. I had no idea if I would have any competence, if anyone would listen, and if this was an appropriate medium for me to get the message out that would be of any use to anybody. So it was, was truly an experiment to test the hypothesis that radio would be a good way to distribute this content. Good. So was there an aha moment? Was there a show that was an aha moment in which you decided this is no longer an experiment? This is a good thing. You know, I don't know that it was a specific show, but it was the response from people like you, right, that I interviewed you and uh, one other person at a conference, the CIO Tomorrow Conference, and people who were credible, highly credible, were willing to have a conversation. That was one of my concerns early on, is beyond my five or six friends who were the first interview guests, I wasn't sure I could get anyone to keep coming on the show. But you personally helped me see that there was a value to our guests to get their message out. And Cynthia, Dr. Cynthia Cherry from the International Leadership Association was another. I interviewed her and we brainstormed how would we do additional interviews. And as the CEO who runs a conference that brings in significant global leaders from academics, government, and business all together, they were willing to have me be their, quote, press person to interview Lifetime Achievement Award winners, keynote speakers, board members. And between those two, it became clear that people were willing to make themselves available for these interviews. And some of our guests charge $50,000 a speech. So, (laughs) right. So these are significant opportunities for the listeners to hear kind of the unplugged version, not what you'd hear in a more public forum from pretty significant leaders, top leaders and top academics. And so I was delighted to have that opportunity for listeners for free. I think you make a great point. These are interesting people and it's not a formal thing. I mean, you carry on a conversation with people and I think that's one of the keys to your success to this show is that, you know, it's a conversation that you let your entire audience in on. That's certainly the goal because we've all seen the overly polished stuff and I, for one, don't really partake of much of that because it seems a little too overly choreographed. Yeah, I know what you mean, because when you're trying to convey trust and reliability and confidence and and all of those things, and and if it's uh, choreographed, you're not sure how much is for show and how much is for go. And mine is intended to be, especially as we're trying to help people build their leadership, what I don't need and what I don't want to convey is another pat blog post of what are the top five things or top seven things. Nobody's going to listen to that for 100 shows. What I wanted people to hear is, you know, you've had challenges in your life. What are those challenges? You're a two-star general, but that wasn't, that didn't come easily necessarily to you. And you were appointed by the Senate. What did that entail? And then you ran a major portion of a corporation. What was that transition like? It's easy to look at very successful people and assume that their journey was easier than ours. And what I want to help people see is what it looks like on the outside. What I put in my press releases isn't at all what goes on in my head. (laughs) 
Yes, in, in, in fact, you and I have talked about this a couple times. Uh, this is an hour show, but it's not an hour show. It's an eight-hour show to you. It, it is. Between the conversations to prep, setting up studio and recording, putting out all of the material. So either my guests or I write a blog post for most of them. There's press stuff that goes on all over the place. Getting coordinated between Voice America, the radio station here, making sure we have accurate descriptions, and then the time I spend with guests. The conference I attended where you spoke, while the interview was 20 minutes, I spent probably 20 hours prepping, attending the conference, editing the content. It was not an insignificant investment. Some aren't quite eight hours, but like I said, some are 20. Absolutely. And okay, so let's talk about your guests for a moment. Now, you already intimated that when it was an experiment, you leaned upon your friends as some of your your initial guests. At some point in time, you decided that, hey, this is for real. So how did you go about choosing guests? Was there any method to your madness? You know, part of what I do is have a kind of clear direction, but then the other half is what emerges. So I had a sense that I wanted to, this idea of innovating how we lead. So what would a refresher to a, an MBA look like so that people who graduated either from undergrad or graduate school many years ago, how would they stay current? And so really my guidelines were, would this be interesting to a leader? And then what really started to emerge and only in reflection is really breaking it into three components. And these have changed over time, but there are people who are listening for point skills. So if I want to learn something about cybersecurity, I listen to the Dale Myers interview. If I want to learn about a smear campaign, I listen to Barb Marks Hubbard and Mark Gaffney. The second category is people who want to be more effective as leaders. So they may listen to the suite of conversations with senior executives, but they may not listen to the academics, as an example. The third group is those who want to actually just be wiser. So they are curious, and they'll listen probably to a broader range of interviews, and the topic may not apply to them directly. So we had one talking about analytics and one talking about running an agile software shop. I may listen to those because I learned something from those leaders who are also successful, even though the the specific topic isn't completely relevant. I did an interview today with someone managing the emergency management systems EMS during the Ferguson crisis. So people who aren't EMS folks may think that's not relevant. Although when you listen to Chris, he has a lot of wisdom that ties back to general leadership. So my hope is that I can work with people who have different objectives and make it valuable to everyone. And then to add to that, I'm working right now with the folks at James Madison, where I went to undergraduate school, to make these interviews available in their strategic leadership program for PhD students. And also with other universities, I use it in my classes, undergrad and MBA. And I invite others to do the same thing because in this idea of flipping the classroom, it gives students access to different points of view. And I value that. Not everyone has to agree with me. And then we invite a conversation where they critically evaluate what they heard. I think that's great. So let me ask you the question. 
you pick a topic and go after an expert in that topic, or do you go after an interesting personality or person and then work the topic from there? You know, it has seemed to unfold that I find people that I would find interesting. So you and I had multiple conversations, and what I knew is... I respected you, and that's one of the key elements is I have to respect the person, and you're interesting, and in with 40 years of experience, you could talk for more than an hour, right? So <laughs> <laughs> That's just because I'm an old guy. <laughs> well, but you're actually 40 years of pretty strong experience being a two-star general <laughs> and then transitioning to successful industry work and being confirmed by the Senate in politics as a political appointee, not a, as a elected official. That's a broad range. And now you're doing board work. So in the case of interviewing someone like you and some of our other guests, I find them very insightful. And I want to invite them to be regular guests on the show because I think the listeners will benefit as much as I have from the conversations. I wholeheartedly agree. Over the course of the last 99 shows, who are the folks that helped, you know, you had folks help you get started and help folks help you maintain and folks helping you today. So how about giving some of them some recognition? I would love to. So I want to start with my first few shows. I was terrified. And if you listen to them, I gave my dad the link to the first one and he counted the number of ums in the first 10 minutes. And I think it was like 57. And that show was with Mike Morrow Fox and Susan Cannon. And we co-authored an article in the book Leader 2050 looking at leadership competencies. So their willingness to guide me. Susan had done some radio work before. My second guest was Mike Figliolo. Third was Brian Ahern. And then Jim, James Brenza, Jim Ritchie Dunham, Christoph Henska have been regular guests and consistently delivered brilliant content. And then people who have helped. Dan Michalko has been a mentor and a friend. I used the WCBE studio to record and engineers Heather Anderson and Greg Mobius. Greg, who is here right now telling me if I do something that <laughs> seems boring that we'll cut out. <laughs> and then friends like Angelo Mazzocco, who got me to, to host the show at the CIO conference tomorrow. Cynthia Cherry. So there have been a lot of people behind the scenes who have helped me develop skills and confidence and given feedback. Tacey Trump is an amazing producer. She has given me so much insight about what's working and what's not working. She's introduced me to people. You know, that phrase, it takes a village, is really true about more than raising a family. Putting a show together like this, I get to be the point person. Mike Sayer, my business partner, or the president of our company, is infinitely supportive when I'm doing this rather than running a company. So uh, university folks who have offered to share their insight and include this in their classes. And, you know, most of all, our listeners, all of that is completely useless if no one listens. We invest our energy and money to put together a show that will improve the quality of leadership across the planet. We have listeners in 66 countries right now, and most of these people I'll never meet. And yet my personal life mission is during this time of complexity, how do we put out consistently valuable content that breaks down borders and boundaries and improves the quality of leadership, which improves the quality 
quality of life experience across the planet. And I realize that sounds a bit ambitious. And yet, I don't know who is listening and how they're going to use it. And I hope over the probably 100,000 listens we've had over the course of these shows, that brilliant people are putting it into practice in ways I'll never know, but the people that they touch will know. You are listening to Voice of America, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Dale Myros interviewing Maureen Metcalf. We will take a break and be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Voice of America, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Dale Myers, and I'm interviewing your usual host, Maureen Metcalf. And uh, the first segment, we talked about the show, how it started, how it's evolved over time. This particular segment, we've set up for her to pass on some of the wisdom that she has picked up from her many, many guests. And so uh, to start us off, Maureen, can you summarize what you think the big modern-day leadership issues that your guests have identified, and are there subjects that stand out that may not be obvious at first glance? So first, I want to say I'm humbled by the leaders I've interviewed. I am surprised at how much I don't know. And in these conversations, especially in prep for the interviews, people kind of educate me about their area of expertise. So you've talked to me about the government process. Somebody else did as well today about how they lobby for education changes in a university setting or any number of things. So... 
part of what stands out to me is the range of topics that people have developed expertise in. And I leave feeling incredibly hopeful, which seems interesting given the political drama. And when you watch the news, it seems like everything's kind of a little topsy-turvy. And yet when I talk to these leaders, I am incredibly encouraged by their wisdom and diligence at applying their craft and their care for their clients and physicians care for their patients. It gives me a great deal of hope and confidence that going forward, we have leaders who have created the path and we have several avenues, this just being a drop in the ocean of channels for people to integrate that wisdom into what they do on a daily basis. So certainly universities and corporate leadership programs, and just having good mentors. So I'm encouraged that we have solutions to many of our problems. And the ones we don't have yet, we have people who are qualified to create them. You know, that tells me one thing, you know, the fact that you find such wisdom in people that you're interviewing means that you you're getting the right people. And if you're getting the right people, then, uh, you know, that really serves your audience and the, and the purposes for which you have the show. Thank you. It, it's not an insignificant amount of effort. But again, if this is my life's work, what better way to do it than to share it with other people who can also benefit from it? Yeah. And the last thing that you talked about, how, how sometimes leadership is a grind and you have to grind, grind through. But, but are there other subjects that stand out in your many interviews that you think are particularly descriptive of the leadership environment in corporations, universities, and governments today? I want to tip that just slightly. There are several topics that really, one, got top ratings as far as number of listens that I think were highly important for all of our listeners. So building resilience and well-being, the idea that we now have neuroscience, the intersection of neuroscience and leadership and uh, mindfulness and positive psychology and, and several of the sciences applied to leadership, and we now lead differently. So the idea of innovating how we lead as a leader who understands how brains work and how much of my behavior is in some ways predetermined and unconscious if I'm not deliberately managing and making myself aware of some of those topics. So it's fascinating to me to see differently, through different eyes, how leaders operate. Another one that stands out is the organizational vibrancy, and again, unconscious in this case, agreements. So I come into a new job and I have a set of assumptions and agreements, I think, with people with whom I'm working. Other people in the organization have a different set of assumptions about how we work, and it is those conflicting assumptions that are unconscious and unexpressed that cause us to, in many cases, be misaligned and in conflict. And aligned with that, this idea that people who have individually have a sense of purpose, come together with deeper shared purpose, are able to be engaged differently and produce significantly higher results. So those are a few that really stood out 
for me. And I could go on and on. I I mean, just the list of people I've interviewed has been phenomenal. I I still, there are times I feel like I I need to pinch myself because I actually got to sit in a room and talk to these people for a couple hours. You bet. One of the things that you and I have talked about in terms of teaming up for leadership endeavors is how important self-awareness is to a leader. Can you give your thoughts on that? In fact, your award-winning book that you've written is about self-awareness. So back to that idea of unconsciousness, and, and I know you and I have talked about the great leader theory versus people who are just get out and get it done, that kind of grinding through and showing up every day. If I know who I am and I know my predispositions as an example, then I am able to manage that. I know what derails me. And just a simple example, so I have a client who has a predisposition to being fairly aggressive in a situation. By knowing that and looking at the response of people with whom she works, she's able to walk back her behavior and manage people that she can tend to overwhelm and encourage them to participate. So just something simple like that allows us to then build relationships that we wouldn't have if we didn't know our predispositions. Mine is probably to be more self-conscious. And so I'm also aware when I'm working with someone who is more assertive, I tend to have a conversation in my head about not knowing enough. And it seems the more I learn, the less I feel like I know. So (laughs) maybe that's wisdom. Maybe that's just something off the rails. I think that is the element of being a leader and being responsible for, uh, for everything and the accountability that goes along with it. You know, you always want more information. Let me give one more example on that. So the work of Gary Weber, who talked about how brains work and the idea that a trauma or a mistake or something that caused me problems in my past. I had a conversation with someone who was taken wrongly, inappropriately, and that person complained to my boss. The weight and prioritization in my brain of the next time I have to have that kind of conversation is eight to 10 times. So that seems like now a big risk. And the weight my brain puts on something that's positive is not escalated like that. So my physiology, the the cortisol and the fight and flight hormones escalate when I'm ready to have a conversation on performance management very differently. So, so again, being self-aware, I can manage how I might avoid those conversations. I'll plan them at a time where I'm feeling a little more relaxed, and I'm able to talk myself through it so that I don't allow the brain functioning and my physiology to get in the way of doing what I know I need to do and need to do well and with compassion. Absolutely. A related area that, again, you and I have talked about several times, I think your audience would benefit greatly from, is the phrase wisdom in action. Can you expound on that, please? Sure. So as we look at the developmental psychology, we have people who are subject matter experts. And at that level, as people listening to the show, I'm going to need some point expertise. So I'm going to run an analytics program. I need to know all about analytics. Or I'm a CEO and I know the cybersecurity thing is a big deal, but I don't know enough about it. So I want to know enough so that when my team talks to me about it, 
I'm able to have a decent conversation and make solid decisions, or at least respond to recommendations. The second level is I gain information so that I can be more effective. The third is a sense of wisdom, just I trust someone's judgment. When I, you and I have conversations and we've differed on many things, and yet I trust you fundamentally. Mike Sayer, our president, I trust fundamentally. I believe that both of you are quite wise. And if you have a point of view that's different than mine, I will absolutely probe and try to understand. And so I, I appreciate the wisdom that you've developed. And my hope is that this show helps leaders develop that kind of wisdom by listening to a broad range of perspectives. And then the inaction is, it's not helpful to be wise and lock myself in my closet. I have to be in action. And so one of our guests, Barb Marks Hubbard, who's 87, she's a futurist, talked about even calling her peers into action. So if you are retired or have retired and are back in the workforce doing something else, that wisdom may be directed at mentoring or guiding others. It doesn't have to be running a conglomerate. It could be volunteering in a school or coaching. Absolutely. I, you know, again, this, this show is about leadership. It's about innovative leadership. It's about changing and evolving. So over the course of uh, this experience, have, have you changed or adjusted how you've defined the innovative leader? The definition in the book has not changed. So it, it is still about people who understand who they are and put that into action and they understand how to integrate culture and systems and use wisdom to transform their organization and build what I would call a perpetual evolution machine, right? That I no longer just have to change once or twice. I have to continue to evolve my organization and myself. I would say as I deepen that, Certainly, I now understand a lot more nuance to many of those categories, and I feel like I have developed a level of wisdom that I didn't have before. Yes. You've mentioned several times in that answer about evolving organization, and uh, you address that a lot in, in, in your book. And so what have you taken away from your guests about how they address the ever-changing organizational climate? You know, there are a couple interviews I probably want to cite. One is with you and, and Mike, and that interview focused on changes never go as you plan. Yeah, things <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter how good you are, how many times you've done it, and I, I not to sound pessimistic, stuff just changes. And yep. no matter how good you are, other than potentially psychics, and I'm not sure I would place 100% reliability on them, or we'd all be using them in our businesses, <laughs> right? So, so you develop the best plan you can, and you develop an inner agility, and that's back to that self awareness. I have to be okay with uncertainty. I still have to work hard and get all the right stuff done, and I can do that better with that inner fortitude. The second set of interviews are with Jim Ritchie Dunham talking about harmonic vibrancy or organizational vibrancy and really looks at these, what are the characteristics that allow people to put forth creative ideas and innovate out of the challenges they're facing. So back to the innovation, we're in a 
time of ongoing change. We have constraints all over the place just based on the systems we face and the number of people on the planet. The only way for us to thrive going forward for the next generations is to innovate out of our challenges. And his research puts forward a blueprint that helps us understand what is required to make that innovation possible. Good, good. Now, every show, you encourage your audience to focus on something they can take away and put into practice. (laughs) Do you have any crib notes about how they ought to really go about doing that? And do you have an example or two about nuggets that, you know, really came out that you thought that, you know, either based upon your viewership or feedback that that you've gotten uh, really is is typical of, of what you're talking about? Unfortunately, I don't get many responses, so I can't speak to what other people are doing. I can speak to what I've done. And in preparation for this interview and uh, for our listeners, Dale challenged me to think about what I've changed, given that I ask people to make changes every week. Uh, So so a couple... Yeah. Um, be, careful, be careful what you ask for, Maureen. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, again, I spend hours every week talking to people. It's impossible for me to not change. So a couple that stand out are the um, Gary Weber, Mariana Klatt interviews on brains and mindfulness. And I really am multitasking a lot less. I haven't completely quit, but... Uh, Most of the time, I really try to stay focused, and I'm also a lot more aware of my thinking. And Gary made the recommendation that I should, or our listeners, everyone, should ask the question, either who am I or where am I, something to pull us out of the mental gymnastics that we do. And I do that maybe not enough, but as a practice, first thing in the morning, set my intention for the day, last thing at night clarify my intention and focus on what I'm grateful for so that I go into sleep time not working a big problem but more in a mindset that will allow me to be more restful so I work out and work through with the problems hopefully before I go to bed not in my sleep thrashing around that is definitely good advice and that is one nugget that I will take away from this (laughs) You are listening to Voice of America, Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Dale Myros, interviewing your normal host, Maureen Metcalf. We'll be right back after we take a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Dale Myros, interviewing your normal host, Maureen Metcalf. And in this last segment, we're going to pin her down about what's going on in the future. Not only the future of leadership per se, but what you can anticipate as regular listeners to this program. Maureen, you and I have discussed the book Leadership 2050 on several occasions. So how do you see the future leadership landscape changing over the next couple of years? And how fast do you think that change will take place? You know, again, in preparation for our interview, I went back and revisited that model, and I use it often. And specifically, this is the strategist competency model that Mike Morrow Fox, Susan Cannon, and I developed. And we developed that using the framework of uh, Suzanne Cook Greuter in her leadership development framework. So it's incredibly well researched work. And that still seems to hold true, which I would hope is accurate since the framework's only two years old, our competency model framework. And it gets to both mindset and behavior. And that is different than most competency models that just look at how do I behave. But this is also the underlying what's my thought process. So something like professionally humble, I can behave in a manner that's humble and still be a bit of a jerk. This really tries to get to our underlying motivation. So I do think that these models, again, hold true. The challenge is how quickly will the change happen? And again, absent a crystal ball, I am seeing being out in the community a fair amount. The rate of change is, in fact, accelerating. People are dealing with things that they hadn't anticipated. And and a couple of those are cybersecurity attacks and smear campaigns. With the internet and accessibility of information, people can either get into your information and or disseminate information that's inaccurate about you. So those kinds of things we just didn't think about five years ago, you thought about cybersecurity five years ago, because that was what you did for a living. But most of us didn't, and we didn't need to. Sure. So I think that the volume of challenge and the interaction globally will continue to to escalate. And I would ask you, as the cybersecurity expert, do you see those kinds of attacks increasing? Well, I see the anxiety growing within the business of cybersecurity. And it's the anxiety of, of this seems different, and oh, by the way, can't we get in front of this? And how much can we control? How much risk is good enough? And uh, usually you find out how much risk is too much risk 
when something happened and, and then the <laughs> consequence was beyond what what you were able to tolerate or, or, or even wanted. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it, I, I wholeheartedly uh, agree with, with all your thoughts. I'd like to take you in just a tangential direction. You know, I know that you are teaching uh, the leaders of the future. You know, in fact, I've been I've been to one of your classes. And so uh, talk about how you approach them, because so often, as you and I do in, in our businesses, we're dealing with practitioners, people who have some experience, people who, uh, you know, have specific issues and problems that you can focus on. But I know that you are molding and shaping the minds of future leaders in a lot of your classes. So can, can you give us a, a feel for what things you think are important to create that sense of anticipation and leaders of the future. Thank you for saying that. I I write these books and do these things, and I kind of wonder sometimes where it all goes. But we just finished an MBA class, and, and I would say from that group, the feedback I got, you know, often students take a class because they think it'll be easy or it fits their schedule or it's convenient in some way or another. And yet what I hear at the end of the class is I thought I was going to learn leadership, as in I thought I was going to learn how to give performance appraisals and that stuff. And what I really learned is more about myself, and this gets back to what you alluded to earlier, and how I show up with every challenge I face. And that, yes, I need the skills to face the challenge. And I need to manage who I am in the face of that. Because if I'm a jerk, it doesn't matter what skills I have, I'm going to be less effective. So people walk away with a deeper sense of who they are and a deeper sense of choice. If I know who I am and I know who I'm not, I get to make choices in every moment that allow me to be as effective as I'm wired to be. Well, those are excellent points. And I definitely, I, I de- you know, as, as a professor in, in a couple of university, uh, national universities here, I can readily identify with that. So let, let me, again, move you just slightly. We, we just talked about the future leadership, and the future leadership deals with a very diverse workforce. If nothing else, it's a multi-generational workforce, isn't it? Well, and, uh, you know, your workforce may range from age 18 to age 68. And so how do you communicate with a multi-generational aged workforce in today's environment? Well, let me throw another uh, variable into that. We are living longer and working longer. At some point, the workforce is going to be, you know, everything from kids working after school, so 15, 16-year-olds, to 90 and 95-year-olds. So some by choice, some because they have to. You know, it seems, again, back to the self-knowledge and a sense of personal security I am then able to meet everyone I encounter, and we break people into millennials and have all those conversations. That's one way to stratify. I could stratify by personality type. I could stratify by developmental level. I could stratify by level of education. However I slice it, I need to be able to interact with every person I meet respectfully. So I need to know enough about myself, enough about them to find the commonality and care. And in that care, I can motivate people. I can engage them to do their work. I can give them the difficult feedback if they're not performing. I can help them find a deeper purpose that we collectively move toward. All of that comes from 
a sense of, for me, communication skills. I am, again, self-aware that I, I can say I, I realize you and I are different in this point or you and I disagree. And you, you and I have personally had those disagreements. And yet from respect and care, we're able to find a shared path forward. Yes, absolutely. And again, you're talking about knowing people and communicating with people. Could you briefly talk about the challenge of working through other leaders or layers of management, mm. you know, to reach? Because as, as you and I have discussed several times, you know, you're leading people, but oftentimes you're leading managers who in turn lead people. What's the phrase? It's turtles all the way up and turtles all the way down? Yes, all the way down. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not sufi- it is required that I have skills, or I think it's better that yep. I have skills. We've seen leaders be effective short term who don't and some of them longer than they should. And in some cases, those people do damage to an organization, right? We know organizations in turmoil are harder to lead, but assuming I'm a good leader at the top, that is insufficient if the leaders below me or managers below me or supervisors are mean-spirited or just ineffective. I work with a lot of engineers who weren't taught communication skills. And so Mm. they will make mistakes well-intended, well, and and people in all fields, engineers, physicians, there are some fields that are particularly technically focused. And I do a lot of coaching in those spaces, and it really comes down to a set of skills. Even though they care deeply for the people they work with, they can still manage to alienate folks by misstepping in the communication process. Yeah, absolutely. And and just when you think you've communicated enough, you find out that you haven't communicated enough. You know, I had this conversation with someone the other day when she was saying, how long do I need to do this? And the point is, (laughs) you know, you're talking to 100 people. Each of them will hear you once for one minute. Many of them won't remember. And for you, it feels like it's all you have stinking done for the last six months. Right. That's right. But for them... You, You know, when you're the leader and you're tired of your own message, you need to keep on it. If it's the right message, it's something like our vision, yeah. right? That yeah. message has to be consistently communicated through everything we do all the time. It's not enough yeah. to say it once and send it in an email. Exactly. And so let's wind up our talk about the future of leadership with uh, how do you see organizations changing? And is it peculiar to industry or are there some general things about evolving organizations in today's work environment? There are certainly some specifics by industry. And so let me look at the practice of medicine. The rate of technology change is, I want to say, astounding, right? We're looking at printing organs. We're looking at artificial blood. And these are just things I know about that lives are being extended at a phenomenal rate and the role of the physician is changing and and so now when we look at accountable care we're paying physicians for keeping people healthy rather than for fixing illnesses again a mindset change that for some is not that dramatic probably for some not a not a change at all for others right. the structure of the organization and how it's operated and how they're paid All of that changes, and with that change requires us to, at a minimum, recalibrate our algorithm. In some cases, it requires a deeper internal change. Exactly. So if for the last little segment of this show, if we could focus on what plans do you have that you can uh, 
provide your audience for future shows? Uh, do you have themes? Do you have folks that you've got planned? So what can they expect for the next 100 shows? So there are regular guests like you and Jim Ritchie Dunham and Christoph Henska and James Brenza, who will be on ongoing shows if you continue. <laughs> is, is this a formal request or, <laughs> this, or a hopeful request? <laughs> this is a formal request. <laughs> Should you choose to I, I accept. <laughs> I'm going to be at the International Leadership Association Conference again this year, so we'll talk to their keynotes and the Lifetime Achievement Award people. There are some university chancellors that I'll be interviewing. One was a musician, so we'll talk about music and education. One is doing uh, more policy and administrative work with the current administration on how do we look at the process of education and make it affordable in a changing environment. We've got someone on the gig economy. And unless I hear otherwise, it will probably continue to be a series of conversations with people I find most interesting. If I think they're dull or pompous, I pretty much don't talk to them. <laughs> well, so hopefully I fit the former category <laughs> if you keep asking me on. Did you hear the request? Uh, that's right. In, on on air. <laughs> that's right. So give your audience a feel for how other things are tied in. You write for Forbes. We've already talked about your teaching. Talk about the blogs and how else your audience and listeners uh, can continue to benefit from your work. Thank you for bringing up Forbes. I write as part of the Forbes Coaches Council, so I do a monthly article and also do a lot of Q&As. And probably the best place to find that is either on Forbes or on LinkedIn, if you follow me, because I do post all of those as well as the radio shows. I do a weekly blog most weeks, and that's either something I've written about the conversation with a guest or the guests share a blog. I write papers with authors like Jim Ritchie Dunham, the Harvard researcher. Christoph Henske has contributed to one of our recent Forbes articles, and you and I are talking about writing. So those will continue to come out. And as much as I said I'm done with books, actually my former intern <laughs> had a recommendation for a book, and Mike Morrow-Fox and I are actively working on a book, and he is taking the lead in that writing project. Uh, and right now we are finally calling it Jack and Jill Go Up the Hill. So it is about developmental psychology. Uh, it'll probably have a different name. And he's come up with a fabulous story. So what I was told after I wrote one was, you really should stick to nonfiction. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mike's doing the story that goes along with uh, the more dull academic stuff. Well, Maureen, on behalf of your loyal audience, thank you for your insights. And thank you for the last 99 shows. We look forward to your next 100. Thank you, our audience, for joining us for this Voice America show. We hope you found value in the conversation and could take something that you can use in your own leadership journey. Maureen wants to hear your feedback on applying those ideas <laughs> to your leadership box of tools and would welcome you to send her a message at info at metcalfassociates.com. And she might even read your message on the air. And if she does, she'll probably give you a call ahead of time to make sure that she properly quotes you. In this time of change, focus on continually building your leadership skills. I can't tell you how critical Maureen believes it is, and I absolutely endorse that uh, 100%. Consider the impact that innovative leaders make on the world. Imagine what you can do by improving yourselves and helping others as we all try to make significant changes in our current world conditions. 
Today is your opportunity to consider your own ability to function as an innovative leader and identify an action item to improve your ability. On behalf of Maureen, on our 100th show, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll consider doing the same for the next 100. You've been listening to Voice of America, innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. I'm Dale Meyer-Rose. Have a great innovative leadership day. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.